fantastic on this Boreanderful day you know i'm feeling great too thank you so much for giving me this wonderful antique furniture from mm -hmm. all across um like the different eras of france it really is too much of you to have done i really also i like this mirror over here although i'm thinking of getting it replaced no 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 don't touch that don't oh don't don't oh, touch, don't touch that, that? Okay. no that's the one thing that's the one thing. Okay. The one well, thing. Well, um, well, you're gonna give me food here, and I'm uh, sure it's I just as have to sit in a corner for a while, so and stand still. So yeah, this sounds like a good deal to me. Thanks. <laughs> um, welcome. Welcome. Welcome everyone to Red Sharts. That's right. We just watched a Squire of Gothos. This, I am Emily oh, Pineapple. This I'm I am misinformation. This episode, I'm like staggered. This episode seems unreal in a way because like if we hadn't had just had Shore Leaf two episodes ago, mm -hmm. I would have called this like the most ludicrous episode, but that just happened. Yeah. This is like the second most ludicrous episode in terms of how they are shoehorning like different sets and costumes and things that aren't space related into one. Mm -hmm. It's not bad. No. It's not. Yeah. But it's weird. It's really it's actually, weird. And um, I want to know who wrote it and how and why and where the idea came from. Because I, I love this character is like a Henry Mudd, a lovable scale. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I don't have the name of the set designer, uh, but he did say that this was the set that he was proudest of uh, oh. because it splits open and then it splits into parts so that they can film all the way around the room and you don't see the camera. And that was like, I mean, I, it's still like, it takes a lot of money. Like it takes a lot of uh, uh, stuff. So this person was incredibly proud of himself. So I love that you noticed that because otherwise I would have forgotten. Uh, it was beautiful. Yeah, it's absolutely lovely. Um, this of course was written by Paul Schneider. Yeah, that's right. The same Paul Schneider who wrote uh Balance of Terror, wrote, quote unquote, was entirely rewritten by Gene Roddenberry. Uh, but that it's the boomerang. It's the tone boomerang of Balance of Terror, which is just a really intense, like military slog yeah. to this sort of iconic uh just 
whenever like you're doing a Star Trek take on Star Trek, whenever a cartoon is doing one, like they're probably going to reference something from this episode. Uh, if not one thing, another thing. I see our guest is here. Yes, we have a new guest, a new recurring character that I'm sure will be here several times in future Red Shirts episode. This is our new house kitten. This is Dr. President. He will be here every once in a while to give you little mews and little squeals. He is, okay, you can't see mm-hmm. this on your end because one, Emily co-host you don't see it on the video screen but to audience because you don't see any of this ha he is looking at your face in the screen and is following it because he also loves to follow mice and stuff but he is looking at what is going on and is an audience member for this so dr president very much is a red shark supporter i want you to know and he's barely barely a month old like barely. how is that supposed to be a thing i mean the kids did love this episode and because it's so funny and it is so lighthearted, it is so fanciful in fact paul schneider on writing this said that it, it really is more science fantasy than science yeah, fiction it really is i i was wondering what I kept being wondering like what the reveal of this character was going to be because I knew that it's Star Trek. So it's not just going to be like on the face, anything that it seems, but like the slow progress reveal to the spoiler, we're not going to get to it yet at the Mm. end of what this person actually is, this, this creature, whatever we want to call it. Uh, I was entity. I was like shocked. It's, it's fascinating. So yeah, I'm hoping we're going to get some good juicy details on uh, what Mr. Uh, Schneider, uh, how he came up with this. A different balance of terror. Exactly. Um, I think that this one, so the thing that was different about the writing of this one is that by this time, Gene Alcoon had been hired. Um, I think he was hired, but he was the one who was working with Schneider on this script because while they were writing this script, Gene Roddenberry was also writing a script sitting under a tree at Africa USA for shore leave. Oh, <laughs> yes. I remember um, that one. They were literally happening concurrently. Concurrently, So I really feel like this not only has a lot more Paul Schneider in it, but it has a lot of Gene Alcoon in it, including that, that iconic twist. At the end was a 100% Gene L. Kuhn edition. Gene L. Kuhn was oh, nice. known for, yeah, he was known for being a humorous writer. He was known for having a lot of levity in his scripts and especially yeah, yeah, yeah. in and his this dialogue. Boy. Mm-hmm. This is like up in the clouds. Absolutely. Um, which was something that he and Roddenberry like were in conflict a lot on. But of course, Roddenberry was busy sitting under a tree at Africa USA, uh, rewriting Shore Leave. Um, so I think that that's why there's so much more. When Paul Schneider wrote this, he delivered it late, first off, which was annoying to everyone. But, like, his little note that he sent to Gene Alcoon was like, I think I know why it took me so long to write this, uh, because it took me so long to work up the gumption to do it the right way, the wild way, like, the the out there way like the fanciful way i mean uh, he managed to do that it's oh, a yeah. very out there character and script it it really uh 
I mean, it, it manages to make it sci-fi, but it really does just focus on mm-hmm. these fanciful elements and yeah. uh, just this bombastic character that has to be good because mm-hmm. he is the only character that the other people are basically interacting with this yeah. entire time. Exactly. Um, he uh, he also wrote in his note, I couldn't think of what to do, how to end it. Um, so I just like did the most ga- dangerous game. I just, I, I didn't know how to end it. So I just took the most dangerous game. What do you think? Let's do a fight scene. <laughs> Hooray. Hunt Hooray him down. Great. Up. Great. Um, so yeah, this was a lot of Gene Alcoon and Paul Schneider. It was directed by Don McDougal. Uh, this was the only one he directed because it also was late. Um, but everyone really liked this script. Like, it was good. Like, uh, Justman really liked it. He was like, I don't know if we can do it because this looks like a lot of money. <laughs> but I like it, which is, you know, he would say if he fucking hated something because he did a lot. Um, and uh, so Stan Robertson, I did look it up again. His name is Stan, which is fucking hilarious. Stan at NBC. Our buddy Stan. Um, (laughs) they got it to him late also. Why? Because Gene Roddenberry was sitting under a tree at Africa USA writing shortly. Oh my God. Oh my God. And thought that Gene Alcoon would send things in. Uh, and Gene Alcoon was like, well, I just got hired. So like, clearly Roddenberry is taking care of that. So they sent it to them like to NBC, like a week before they were supposed to be shooting. Um, and he was like, all right, like, I like the script, um, but what the fuck, guys? Like, you cannot turn in scripts late. Um, also, the end scene reminds me too much of other Star Trek things, like Captain Kirk's always hunting someone down at the end and then having a fist fight, uh, which has happened a number of times. Uh, It has happened a a non-zero amount of times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It happened, yeah, to Gary Mitchell uh, in Where No Man Has Gone Before. And it happened recently in Shoreleaf with Finnegan. Uh, so that's really all there is behind the writing of the, the episode, mostly because everyone else was fucking busy. And it was just a really good script. And I think that the reason why there is this big, like, tonal thing is um because it's so much more schneidery just like the nature of the story um but also it's it's interesting because i can see more clearly what ronberry added to uh or what kind of writing isms are his yeah versus schneider's because the writing feels different like the dialogue feels different than the kind of shit that comes out of balance of terror which we know was all roddenberry where he's like mm, no frantic dancing i'd love to be on a cruise ship bones maybe in yeah, another life we could be verbose. friends yeah yeah and less like thesis yes yeah whereas this is just really fun uh, <laughs> so let's get into it let's get into it uh dr president is anxious chomping at the bit to get to this episode um we open on the bridge everyone has a little cup of coffee 
They're all holding little gray open cups of coffee on their non-seat belted bridge. <laughs> I got my uh, coffee right here too. There is a new yeoman uh, whose name I didn't even look yes, up. Yes, yeoman of the week. She is absolutely of the week. And then she is absolutely of like sort of life and acting. She She was also a model. So she did some modeling and married a nightclub owner and like was like, I'm not acting anymore. Fuck this. Um, okay. Which, you know, like she did fine. Like she didn't have much to do, but she did it well. Um, she handed out that coffee. Uh, they're on route to the Beta 4 colony. Uh, but first they have to go through like this star desert, quote unquote, which is where a region of a space where there's not many solar systems um and spock <laughs> this is something that i think is a little bit of a, a gene alcunism because he is known for writing these uh friendly dialogues between characters who know each other and okay. who've known each other like bantery uh, stuff yeah bantery stuff she's like hmm the precise meaning of the word desert is a waterless barren wasteland i fail to understand your romantic nostalgia for such a place McCoy's like, that doesn't surprise me, Doctor. Mr. Spock, I can't imagine a mirage ever disturbing those mathematically perfect brainwaves of yours. Oh, slam. Thank you, Dr. McCoy. Oh, Mm, yeah. So it's this cute little little thing that they do where the doctor's like, insult, and Spock's like, thank you. It it is an example of my superiority. You are correct. And anything we get between Bones and Spock, I'm here for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it, it's a little Spock light this episode, which is something that Stan Robertson commented on. He's yeah, like, that is true. Mr. Spock. Um, He's up on the ship. Up on the ship. Other people can have a chance to be in it, too. Like, other, like Sulu can do things, okay? Um, so... While they're going through this desert, they see a planet. Uh, And Kirk's like, we don't have time to investigate this planet. We have to investigate every pulsar or whatever was in the the last one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. uh, Or every space Rubik's Cube. Yeah, we must. every weird planet. It doesn't matter if there's a plague going on. We must. Um, So he's like, all right, we don't have fucking time send a message to the next ship over to go look at it because that's pretty fucking interesting we're in a space desert what's going on out there um but she replies she's like uh there's subspace interference like i can't get this out and they tell sulu sulu's like oh i'm gonna like go around so that you can send out this signal and he stands up and he does like this great performance beat where it's almost as if he feels like there's something wrong. Yeah. He like, he, like has a reaction before anything happens. And it's yeah. like, okay, what? Which I just really liked. Um, and then he fucking disappears. He just vanishes. Uh, I yep. I um, was like, oh, okay, what? There's like a I, great little like bump, like I, sound of drop. It's great. I well, and it was great because it's like the split second screen where it's obviously yeah. like they have the person standing there still for one second, they get them yeah. offset, and then it's the next frame, and they're right there. And yeah. like that's the special effect. So it was like an they, instantaneous thing too. I'm like, which oh, they have out of frame disappearing. They used hyperspace. a lot in this episode. They yes, used they it do. a lot because they they did try in certain parts to do the one where you like, uh, 
I'll tell you when we get to it. Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) It's not a good story. It's just they tried an effect and it didn't work. So they just had someone disappear and it looks cool too. Um, But (laughs) yeah, so Sula fucking vanishes. And then fucking Kark vanishes. Well, I'm like, well, here's our episode right here. Whatever is happening, we've got our inciting incident. K- Kirk and Sulu are fucking gone. They're just fucking gone. <laughs> uh, so Stardate, or space, I suppose, is that's where we go. And then ship's log, uh, Stardate 2124.5, first officer Spock reporting for Captain James Kirk. We're orbiting a lone, unrecorded planet in a star desert for four hours, we have made every possible instrument sweep, but Captain Kirk and Helmsman Sulu remain unaccounted for. I have placed the ship on red alert. Uh, it felt so, so weird to hear Spock giving the, like, update. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I was like, oh, I know, I know this is Spock, but it feels like I'm hearing is, James say this anyways. Like, is it this just the feels first like the time we, uh, we hear Spock give an update? I'm not sure. I feel yeah, like I it know. is. If I not, it it's be. like one of only a couple. Yeah, there aren't very many. Um, but the yeah, basically the bridge crew, they're all together. They're like, we can't find them on the Enterprise. Uh, we can't find them out there. McCoy's like, cool. So we're going to send people directly down to the planet right the fuck now. And Spock's like, okay, yes. Take a single deep breath while I list the people who are going to the fucking planet right now. Like, <laughs> calm down. Like, we are on the same page. Um, so science officer LaSalvo, who is uh, sitting sitting up front, he's just like this older looking guy. Um, he's like, no, um, there are only volcanoes and acid down there. Like, they they will die. Um, yeah, they have like an interesting back and forth, and it's yeah. basically like the two of them are surviving not very long. Like, mm-hmm. like that's my diplomatic answer. No. When suddenly a strange communication appears written on one of the computers in the fucking thing. Like Uhura's like Spock, a message, and she like points to <laughs> it. <laughs> and it's in ye old font as well. It's perfect. Ye olde font. It says, greetings and felicitations. Um, and Spock has the best response to this. He's like, send a response back. Identify self. Yeah, yes. exactly. Good. Yes. Who are you? <laughs> Just like Vulcan precision. Identify self. <laughs> uh, but instead, the reply comes up and says, hip, hip, hurrah. And he believes it's pronounced. Tally ho. Uh, DeSalle's like, is this a joke? And Spock's like, I don't fucking know at this point. Like, I will, I will entertain any theories. Any I will say theories. because because <laughs> the episode had Squire in it. I mean, I don't know what it was about. I wondered if it was a possibility I was about to get a Robin Hood or <gasps> King Arthur sort oh. of like gang rave, roving through. I mean, I got something that I couldn't have imagined ever. But I was just like, oh, why do we have this? Like, it's clearly something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, you know, seeing the fact that they're getting a message from this planet, they're like, something has to be alive down there. So let's take the risk. Let's throw some people down there. And 
I don't know if you remember those orange jumpsuits they wore in the naked time when that guy took off his gloves so that he could touch the strange being despite being Of course I remember that because he took his frigging glove off to touch something. And then stuck his bare hand under his protective mask. So, (laughs) uh, Justin when he was writing a little memo over to Gene Alcoon was like, look, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but I think I thought I saw Bill Tice showing you one of those in the costume room. Don't fucking use those costumes. They look stupid and everyone will laugh. And oh that is my why. God. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. That's, That's so funny. Yeah. So that is why when they beam down, everyone's just wearing a little oxygen mask. And see, that's, I I even know that mask having been referenced in stuff that parodies Star Trek. Oh, yeah. So that, I didn't realize that that mask was, like, iconic as well in the Mm -hmm. game back here. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's used to great effect, generally, just that sort of conception within science fiction. Like, moving from a still suit to, like, having shit shoved up your nose so you can still see the actor. You put it so delicately, Emily. It shoved sounds, up Timothy Chalamet's nose. It makes, it it makes space travel sound so appealing. I mean, everyone should feel appealed. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, so, there... Uh, oh, yeah. It said, the audience will take a full half hour to stop laughing from what our people look like. <laughs> is what Justin said. So they arrive, they're amidst trees and shrubs, and they're, you know, trying to get, like, their beacons working, and they can't communicate, but they're like, there's oxygen here. Like, we can take off these masks. It's fine. Um, And that's when they see a castle! Dun, dun, dun! Just a classic-ass castle sort of entrance stone with, like, gargoyles. A castle in the middle of nowhere since mm-hmm. only a few episodes ago mm-hmm. in the Menagerie Part 1. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> um, or maybe even so... Part 2 by that point. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> um, and the door is open. Like this big old door. So they just sort of slide on in and they look around and what do we see? The salt monster from the first episode! But it's not alive. It's like, it's like put up like a bear. And there's also other alien heads on the wall. Don't think I didn't clock that salt monster. Mm -hmm. Don't think I wasn't going to bring that up. And don't think McCoy wasn't either. He fucking looks at it and everything pauses. He's like, and they play a sound cue from that episode too. Okay. I wondered how deep I was supposed to read into that. If it was just him reading around, but they play a sound cue from it. That has to be. Yeah. And like that, at least they knew what they were doing. Um, But yeah, so this was part of the thing where they're like, it's the most dangerous game. So what if, you know, it's implied when they walk in that this guy's a hunter. And of course, you know, they sort of play with that a little bit differently um, because the most dangerous game part gets downplayed. Um, I think I think it's because of story changes. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, I I do think it is. I think that earlier in the versions, they were leaning way more heavily on the most dangerous game part where like the idea is like he 
found these humans because he wants to hunt the humans because he yeah. likes hunting alien species, yeah. which is not as they, fun they as what they bring did. That up. He just basically says he likes collecting like stuff from your Earth era. Yeah. And then they have the you know. Well, I guess we we should introduce the character first because we're gonna yeah. very quickly talk about um, uh, this. Interview. So yeah. So there's but there's alien heads on the walls. Um, there's also coats of arms and like mm-hmm. armor and there's flags, like a nor- like a French flag, like a modern French flag, which is really funny. I uh, mean, when I saw we essentially just teleported into the set of a medieval, yeah. you know, like t- era, like, but like mm-hmm. it's a hodgepodge There's a harpsichord. Stuff. Yeah. So I knew it was like, well, there's like some stuff that's from, I feel like the 18th or 19th century mixing with stuff that feels yeah. like it's from like the 15th 16th century all in yeah. here like a mishmash of european Sh- stuff a mishmash of stuff they found on the back lot yeah <laughs> and, uh, you know what yes that's what i felt like um but at least i was like well we'll probably see why this is named the squire if we're yeah. in this set right now um and then they also they turn and they see but what else the frozen forms of Kirk and Sulu, aka oh. both actors standing as still as they possibly can, with which is never still enough. Movement. Yeah, a little no- noticeable movement on it. With a you green know, light <laughs> on I them. I assumed right away it's like, oh, okay, they have just been framed. They're like waxworks yep. for this weirdos museum. Yep. They were supposed to be marbleized. Uh, that was how it was originally written. Oh. That like these, there were these marble statues. Okay, and Justin was like. Let's just have them stand still. What if they just stand still and we we shine a light on them? Like, what if instead of creating figures, um, so uh almost as soon as they see these these guys, they turn, bam, the door is shut, the trap has been sprung, and the harpsichord begins to play. And that is where they see the star of this episode. But a foppish figure in a blue coat and ruffled shirt, Jennifer Trelane retired, Squire of Gothos. If you look up Trelane, or excuse me, if you look up the word fop in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Trelane pops up. It's just a photo (gasps) of him, I bet. No, that's not real. I, I'm, that's I me, think you're that's correct, a joke. I'm making a joke. I, you said that. You were asked like, if that was real. I was like, oh, no, I'm not trying. I don't want to spread misinformation something, on, on something I love. Douglas <laughs> Adams would do that, though. Exactly. It but fits. no, that just feels like it. He is the, yes. the textbook definition of foppish person and someone who looked like, doesn't necessarily behave totally, but looks mm-hmm. like Liberace. Yep. And when I saw that, I was like, Okay, I know Liberace's a thing, and I know it's not him, but my God, I wish I would have seen this episode with Liberace on there being like, hello, Captain Kirk, welcome. I took you here because I love your Earth. Uh, It's so great. (laughs) Oh, 900 centuries ago, my bad. (laughs) Precisely. Precisely. Um, Trelane says, I must say, they make a perfectly exquisite display pair, but I suppose you want them back now. And he waves his hand and they come back to life. Now, the character of Trelane was played by William Campbell, and it was originally written, however, for Roddy McDowell. <gasps> oh, Tell I me who this person that. is, because I, I don't know who this person okay. is. 
I think Roddy McDowell's most famous role is within the Planet of the Apes. He is one of the <gasps> apes and went on into the sequels to be Caesar, Wait, the main oh, recurring shit. character. Wow! I, I remember him that. from Whoa. Batman. He played a, a guest villain on that. Like I think in the book form or something like that. Um, he was like a staple of 60s and 70s movies and TV. Um, he, I wow. think he was a child star as well. I think Roddy McDowell might have been in um, mm-hmm. How Green Is Our Valley, which was the film that beat uh, Citizen Kane at the Oscars that oh, year. wow. It's like that good. Um, he was also in A Bug's Life in 1998. Oh, wait, who was he in A Bug's Life? <laughs> um, the Soil. Mr. Soil. Oh, he's Mr. Soil. Okay. Yeah. And I wow. and he was on game yeah. shows and panel shows. I'm that's how I I just know okay. him as a as a personality from that time. Yeah. Um and, and I mean he was very, very famous, but those are just the reference points that I feel yeah. like you would would most get from it. But yeah, no, just that's why I was like, oh my word, you know, that would have been mm-hmm. great for it. Um but yeah, so, yeah me, it was tell me more about oh, William Campbell. So there are the reason that makes the most sense and that is in the book uh that that i've read um these are the voyages um all it says there is that it was written originally for roddy mcdowell but the director don mcdougall was like i know a guy i know william campbell and i think that he can do this um but joe d'agosta didn't know him so they're like bring him in to read sure like this guy's probably cheaper um, and so they brought him in. He got through one paragraph uh, and Jody Agosta was like, stop everything. Go to costuming. Um, no, no, like, I told you, you to bring me this actor. Why have you brought me Trelane right here? I'm confused. Precisely. Um, but what it says on IMDb, which is like, what the fuck, IMDb? IMDb has like two really sus fucking Oh, acts. Oh, wait, we're doing another episode of... Emily's IMDb Smackdown. Take them down. So this person says without any sort of actual like where it's from that William Campbell said, um, or it says that William Campbell said that it was originally written for Roddy McDowell, which it was. He says the reason it was eventually decided to use him was that it was feared that given how foppish the character was written to be, um, they thought that with how uh, Roddy McDowell looked, it, the character might just seem gay. Uh, but because Campbell's huskier and like a, and he does have a huskier build and he was like, he did play mostly street toughs and sort of like, you know, modern sort of like criminally guys not this sort of character um so that's i don't know where the fuck this person got it because i think that it is just as likely that the director was like i know this guy i know he can do it because i have directed him and he's gonna be a lot cheaper than roddy mcdowell yeah well roddy mcdowell did have a relationship with um montgomery cliff like early in the 50s so it is something where his sexuality was i believe something that was in question or something to maybe like so i don't i 
I could see it being something where they didn't want him to do the father's character because they were worried that it might come off as gay or if he might have declined it because he didn't want it to be like, you know, it was a bit too popish for his image or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it it is interesting that that's the specific reason that that they picked it. Yeah, I don't think that anyone and I also don't think it's the kind of thing that like Joe D'Agosta would say. Like he's said shit before, but like no one there was like i just don't think that it's something that would have come up before the point where they're like oh but have this guy read like i don't even think it would have gotten to that point of a question here's the thing you want the character not to be gay don't make him a theatrical person who loves dancing around and stuff like that and also if you want him to not be gay they didn't do a good job at not making him not seem gay because like it's a very very like out there like eccentric performance like, oh yeah. This is the kind of character that I would jump into and just have a ball with. Um, I was thinking that exactly. And in fact, Missy, if you would like, I have some uh text here. Oh my god. I'm gonna send you. Or should Ooh. I send you should I send you the text? Yeah, I'll just send you the text yes. of it. So um cool I'm sending I'm you this whole little bit. Um and we can we can go ahead and perform this because I was just like, I need Missy to play this character. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. Because I needed to put in some of the like shit they were that he was saying to really get the idea of this. So, uh, okay, hold on. Here's the thing that you don't know about me. I fucking love cold mm-hmm. reading. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> like it's legit my favorite thing. If you just give me something in front of me and have me read it, it's like great because I don't have time to overthink it and worry about it. I'm just like, here we go. Okay. You must excuse my whimsical way of fetching you here, but when I saw you passing by, I simply could not resist. I'm Captain James Kirk of the United Starship Enterprise. Ah, so you're the captain of these brave lads. My greetings and felicitations, Captain. So good of you and your officers to drop in. I can't tell you how delighted I am to have visitors from the very planet that I've made my hobby. Yes, but according to my observations, I didn't think you were capable of such voyages. Uh, Notice the period, Captain. 900 light years from Earth. It might be that what he's seen through the viewing scope, uh, if it, it were not powerful enough. Ah, yes. I've been looking in on the doings on your lively little Earth. And you've been looking in on the doings 900 years past. Oh, really? Have I made an error in time? How fallible of me. Oh, I did so <laughs> want to make you feel at home. I'm quite proud of the detail. He, oh, it's on stage direction. He goes on to <laughs> ask to hear about killing and conquest. Uh, he's like, tell me about your killings and conquests. I wouldn't hear of it. Then- you shall join me in a repast. I want to learn about all your feelings on war and killing and conquest, that sort of thing. Do you know that you're one of the few predator species that preys even on itself? Yes! Missy? Oh my god. Missy, you have the part to go straight to costuming! Oh my god, I want to get past that paragraph. I get to go in. Yay! Straight to costuming! um that was oh, yeah so much fun yes that is that that is a a great hamming up character that it's i love doing uh the next little bit 
that goes on is that he basically goes through at each officer and is like, ah, oh, yes, I can tell by your last name the country that you would have been from 900 years ago. Ah, oh, LaSalle, you must be French. Yeah. He's like, I love Napoleon. Oh. Which is uh, funny because then if it, it just is like, how, how 900 years ago, and he's been observing it, and up until Napoleon, which means the 1800s. Yeah. When is Star Trek set? Exactly. The question is either <laughs> it's set in like the 23rd century, and this is the 1300s, or it's the because. But he clearly isn't because he knows who the fuck Napoleon is. Yeah. Or they're actually little... in the 27th century. There's some have math. To, do you know? Do you know what I'm gonna have to do, Emily? I'm hmm. gonna have to log on to imdb and put it on a goof there oh, is slam i'm teaming up with your nemesis Get you are here. there really is a fact about it on imdb but i found it so boring that I, even i could not i'm like fuck you uh, the thing is you can't slip you can't slip a gumshoe like myself who's traveling through time to catch carbon san diego on a detail like that you are not going to slip. That would be the one thing that would give the vile henchman away, being like, yes, that's right. Napoleon wasn't born in this time frame. This must be from out of it. Oh, the, the vile henchman oh. must have put it here. Oh. Um, but yes, I absolutely love it. Um, such wild math. But this was also the first time the United Starship Enterprise was even yeah, written. The idea of it being sounded... a United Starship. That was Gene Alcoon. That's a really good point because I've never thought about the fact that it still had a, a, mm -hmm. a U.S. designation on yeah. the, the ship of itself. But that's they're really still good, sort of all over the place. Um, so he goes through each of them. He's like, "Ah, oh, Desal, I love your Napoleon." And then he's like, "Oh, uh, off und Officer Jaeger." Und der Deutsch Soldat nine, and then he goes like eins, why? He just like marches around, and all he's saying is, "Oh, you are a German, yes." One, two, three, four. It, it's great. Oh, I love your leaders. Up to a point, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and he's like, "I'm a scientist." Um, excuse me. Uh, DC Fontana gave notes on this script and she thought that that was a little much. She's like, I don't care for that particular joke. Um, and, uh, but Gene Alcoon, super dead. Um, so does, as Trelane is, is, is bumming about and they're like, put us back. And he's like, no, we're going to hang out. We're buddies. DeSalle tries to shoot him with a phaser, but before he's able to shoot, Trelane like waves his arm and freezes him. Bang! Like he gets the little like, bang, and he gets the like green light on him. Oh, I loved when the green light popped up again. And another, uh, yeah, again, seeing an actor trying not to move, failing at it, but doing their damnedest. He then takes that phaser and he's like, ooh, a weapon. Oh, I'm so delighted. And he shoots the salt monster. And he shoots something else in his fucking house. And he's like, oh. Now I have a gun, Captain Kirk. Oh. Um, so they're like, what the fuck are you? How are you doing things? What is going on? And he gives him the following. He gets the following explanation. 
to state the matter briefly, they perfected a system by which matter can be transferred into energy and back into matter again. Similar to the transporter system on the Enterprise, but far more advanced. They hold yeah. our explanation. I like I love that, it. that. Yeah, Kirk's the one, because he does jump in and say, like, it's like our transporter. He's like, mm, yeah, but better. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. no, it sounds pretty much like a transporter, except, yeah, can turn matter into anything, explaining why we have all of this you know, supposedly antique furniture and stuff in here. Mm -hmm. It's all replicas. It's all phony. All phony, all made by Trelane, because he just wanted them to feel at home. Now, I will give to Trelane. He could have studied what Earth history had been disseminated to him and then also been looking through that glass and observing them directly. And True. so, therefore, I do I do want to make sure that, that this is, is not necessarily a goof, but mm-hmm. it is just, uh, it's interesting that he he seems to have a, a, a time frame and type of, of situation. Well, even the harpsichord would have been too late for that observ- observation period anyway. So there's a lot of, a lot of different things. He must have, he must have gotten a book on... <laughs> French history in the 19th yeah. century. And he's like, oh, that's fine. This is convenient. I'm going to look at this thing in my uh, my observation telescope here, my really long telescope, and I'm <laughs> going to observe Earth in the past. It's like, I bet this is at the same time as my Napoleon. Uh, so Kirk is just like, you need to put us back right the fuck now. Like there is, we can't, you need to let us go. You need to put us back where we were. And Trelane is like, mm, I'll show you outside. And Kirk is transported outside to the actual atmosphere of the planet. He's surrounded by spooky gases. Yeah, and he is like coughing, choking, dying. And then Trelane just like pops him back inside where he's like, oh, um, coughing his brains out. So everyone else is like, oh, shit. And Kirk himself is like, Oh shit! And Trillian's like, mm, "Now you will behave." Yeah, he's all fun and games until someone tells him no, and then it's like, "Ha ha, you could die!" Ha ha, <laughs> you could die. You ha, have ha. lungs. Captain's log. Science officer Spock reporting for Captain Kirk. Uh, they have completed their fourteenth orbit of the planet without establishing contact with their missing officers or parties sent to find them. Subspace communications remain blocked. However, by diverting impulse power to our sensors, we have made them operable, and we have detected one small area on the surface that is relatively stable. Thank God. It's not going to be like the episode just before this where they're trying to find a new <laughs> haystack on the planet. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. We scanned this planet. It's no, one no, fucking it. spot. It's this we one. Figured we it got out. it. We it's, nailed it. Mm. It's this 10-foot radius. Mm, it's awfully uh, convenient, but it's there. <laughs> um, so Spock is like, Scotty, get a lock on every living thing in that area and beam it up. Just And every single living object to get that on this fucking ship. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it's hopefully they don't, you know, get some sort of like lava swamp gaseous monster that happens to be in that same area too, but you know what? It's going to get the crew back. Um, I have another little line for you to cold read, Missy. Oh, oh my word. Okay. okay. Meanwhile, happening on the planet, Terlane is showing off his decor. 
And this, of course, is an array of your battle flags and pennants dating back to the Crusades, to Hannibal's invaders, to the Grecan war galleys and the hordes of Persia. Can't you imagine it, Captain? The thousands of men marching off to their deaths, singing beneath these banners. Mm, doesn't it make your blood run swiftly? The key so is I you have to do a half, it's like a half British accent, but you don't mm-hmm. commit. You just sound like vaguely posh because that's what he's <laughs> doing. It's not a full yep. commitment either way. It's just a posh sounding accent. Yep. Straight up. Uh, it's so fucking perfect. Um, so, you know, there uh, he's Kirk is like, sure. Like he's so fucking tired of this. And they're putting together some uh, thoughts on what could be happening. They're like, all right, there's fire without heat. He does not know what present day Earth looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not all knowledgeable. Like, this person can make mistakes. Like, that's important to know. He, point, he said himself he's fallible. But Trelane is, like, hella excited to see them having, like, a little powwow uh, or a little, like, speech together. Uh and he's like, oh, discussing deep laid plans, I'll wager. I cannot wait to see them evolve. Like, he's so excited that and they're trying great. to escape. Because for him, I'm talking, he's just in the background creeping over me like, oh, what are you talking about? He's like giving them space. It's not like he's like trying to hone in on him. He's just like, he can't get over the fact, and this is the entire episode, he can't get over the fact that he is with real goddamn live human beings. Mm-hmm. He is so fascinated by him Mm -hmm. and i can't get over every single time he just is like overjoyed by the tiniest interactions with these people despite the fact that he also threatens them with murder death kills yep all the time uh so he's kirk's like we're not planning shit trelane and trelane is like hmm like, no, no, I have great admiration for your deception and stratagems. Like, I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan. And he's like, put us back on our ship. And Trelane's like, no, I was getting bored before you got here. Oh, you can't leave. Not yet. And that's when uh, Kirk is like, there are are 400 men and women aboard that ship like you need to put us back on our fucking ship and that's when Trelane says missy i have sent you another another piece uh and he's like there's women on the ship that you actually have members of the fairer sex among your crew oh how charming and they all must be very beautiful and i shall be so very gallant to them here let me fetch them down at once and he does. He like, fetches love some. how excited he was. So um, it, McCoy sees a transporter signal on his communicator. Um, and they're beamed aboard the ship. Yeah. Can, can you say Instead I actually... of someone coming down, everyone's uh-huh. beamed back up. What's interesting is I now realize he he legit might be overly shocked with women being on the crew because he's used to all men armies and so he's just like okay that's an obvious thing okay i thought i was like unraveling something but that's just text okay 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 so yeah i think he was also excited about the idea of like oh i'm gonna be really gallant like this is a human thing just a woman he was excited too 
with their bisexual uh, stuff. Like there's <laughs> there's different ones of them, and they do stuff with it. Wow. Oh, oh Trelane uh. is 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 pansexual for sure. I mean, I think oh, by definition, yeah. but like he oh, knowing yeah. he's an alien species and how horny he is for humans. Like, yeah, this guy will do he he's ready. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um so the landing party uh is about to be beamed aboard the ship. Uh mm-hmm. Trelane is fucking pissed off. He's like, wait, no, I haven't dismiss- dismissed you yet. Like, you are not dismissed. Where are you going? And Kirk's like, ha ha, too late. And they get beamed up. <laughs> Absolutely. So everyone is up there except Trelane. Um, and so they're like, oh, okay, sick. Mr. Spock, there's another dude down there who clearly is not alive because you indiscriminately brought everyone who had life signatures up. Yep. And it's only us. So now we figured out he's not made of life question mark question he's a mark? ghost man alien we get ghost aliens now shape-shifting i don't know because he I said like he's how we're science. trying to classify this um but yeah he said he did say that he is science um so they're like fuck yes let's get the fuck out of here like we beat this weird alien but that's when Bop! Trelane appears on the ship in a cape I was like, of course we didn't solve it. Like, if you're getting everyone on the ship, then Trelane's just going to, like, zip zap zop himself up there. Like, yep. you, you can't get away <laughs> from him. Um, And he's like, oh, don't worry, Captain Kirk. I'm not upset with you. I'm only a little annoyed. This Mr. Spock, though, I really dislike him. Um, It was an unseemly impudent act of taking you from me. Who is he? And Spock's like, hi, it's me. Um, <laughs> it me it me Trelane's like you are not a human and he's like my father is from the planet Vulcan and Trelane's first question is oh, are its natives predatory <laughs> he's like oh, are you violent at all <laughs> he's just obsessed with like violence and naughtiness and misbehaving he just like that's the human emotions that he is most connected with um so he, uh, so Trelane's like, you know what? It's okay. I have something awesome planned for us back on the planet. And Bop, basically the whole bridge crew is now in his living room, in a dining room. Some of them are sitting at a dining table. Big feast. And DeSal is, yeah, DeSal is fucking pissed. DeSal jumps up to like beat him, but Trelane freezes him. And it goes, oh, but primitive fury. Why, he's the very soul of sublime savagery. <laughs> and uh, I can't get over savagery is my grinder profile. Yep. Soul of sublime savagery. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Trelane is like, or Kirk is like, release him. And... So he releases to Sal and he's like, Anne and Trelane's like, no, you're going to introduce me to these ladies. He hadn't had a chance to meet the fairest sex yet. We can't go away. Um, and he's Kirk is just like, this is General Trelane. This is General Trelane. Um, he's like, let's let's be full of merry talk and sallies of wit. 
We have victuals to delight the palate and a brave company to delight the mind. Come, doctor, do partake. Kirk's like, this is General Trelane. He's like, retired. Mm, but you can call me the lonely squire of Gothos. Um, when he meets Uhura, he says another thing that DC Fontana did not enjoy. And that this is the other super fucking questionable thing from IMDb. So basically, he says, ah, a Nubian prize taken on one of your raids of conquest, no doubt, Captain. And Kirk ad-libs, uh, or, well, uh, William Shatner ad-libs, no doubt. Like, with the biggest, like, fuck you in it, which was great. And he's like, ah, she's like the Queen of Sheba. Mm, and then he sees another lady, and he's like, oh, fair Helen, like, you're the face that launched a thousand ships. So DC Fontana was like, why do we need to make, why do we need to talk about Uhura being black? Yeah. Why? Um, so apparently um, during filming, William Campbell originally like blew the line at one point and said like, ah, a Nubian slave. And Oof. just, you know, not as, uh, just as a word, but of course, Nichelle Nichols said, I will kick you in the ankle. Like, mm, like, let's be clear mm-hmm. about not playing with this part of the script. Um, and this fucking person on IMDb was like, well, actually, if there were a, a, a Nubian person, people weren't called Nubian unless they were in Rome or Greece. So she probably would have been enslaved. And I'm like, that is the least the point that like are we really well actually on that i well actually on it how many people found it interesting none like i fucking hope not too many people found it interesting it is the most racist well actually that i have seen thus far um on imdb and it's repulsive um i'm just gonna say like so but whatever. Gene Alcoon liked the line, so it stayed in. Um, and then he uh, he gets back to Spock, and he's like, do you realize that the only reason I brought you here is because I'm such a big fan of your captain. This Kirk guy, I love him. And Spock just says, affirmative. Just like big, like, Vulcan fuck you energy. Like I'm, I'm, it's not, it's not you personally. I just didn't have a telescope set to planet Vulcan for nine hundred years away. He's like, I don't like your tone. I don't know if I like your tone. It's challenging. Is that what you're doing? Are you challenging me? Like the, but saying it the way that a person who has never been challenged before is like, ooh, what's this? Is this what's happening? Again, another new experience for this person. Mm-hmm. Spock's just like, hmm, I object to you. I object to intellect without discipline. I object to power without constructed purpose. So basically saying, uh, I think that you're shit. I think that you are bullshit. I do not like you. And I think you are full of shit. And Trelane's like, oh, you have one saving grace. You're ill-mannered. That must be your human side. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was so funny, especially because it's how, like, verbose Spock is about it and him just to go, ooh, ill-mannered. I love, I love. And then he's like, all right, 
I'm going to dance with this lady, Uhura, or he doesn't, he just says, like, my darling girl, but to Uhura, like, play this harpsichord for us. And she's like, I do not know how to play the harpsichord. And then he's like, now you do. And she's like, oh, fuck. Like, I know how to play the harpsichord. And her hands disappeared just outside of the camera just range. Outside of oh, the camera beautiful, range. beautiful. But she does do this great, like, throughout this scene, she really looks like she's, like, digging the fact that she can play the harpsichord. I mean, she hadn't been able to do it before. (laughs) Like, everyone else is kind of like, oh, no, like, what's going to happen? But, like, she's like, fuck, yeah, I'm playing this harpsichord. Um, So Trelane begins to uh, dance with uh, Yeoman Ross, and he's like, "Mm, I'm going to put her in a pretty dress. And she's like whatever i mean it was interesting when they interrupted star trek with a lawrence welk bit you know therefore but uh you know i guess we're gonna do it (laughs) um so while they are dancing kirk and the other guys are trying to figure out what's going on and they're like all right none of this food tastes any good no fire, no heat. He's making mistakes. He clearly has no idea what the substance of like living beings is. Yeah, like, like he can only he replicate its look. He can't actually create mm-hmm. matter that is the matter that it is. And he's like, and so Spock's like, all right. So the whatever the fuck is doing this has to be able to read his brain waves, and it has to be extremely powerful. So it's probably fucking close. Like, he probably keeps it close. Um, And they're like, all right, we know we're going to need to destroy this, whatever this is. And that it's probably close. And that's when Spock is like, well, he never, like, stops looking in that fucking mirror. Like, yeah, he's vain, but, like, he is always looking in that mirror. And, in fact, the first time we see him, he is reflected in the mirror. Oh my god, they yeah. told us the whole time where to be looking. Mm-hmm. So Kirk's like, sweet, I'm I'm breaking that fucking mirror. Uh, and he's like, all right, how am I going to get this dude to let me be in a situation where I can break the mirror? I know, I'll challenge him to a duel. He won't be able to, to uh, he won't be able to help himself. And he's not. He's a human not. custom? Oh, how wonderful. Oh, wonderful. But he does it in this, like, really ridiculous way. Like, Kirk just, like, raises his voice and he's like, Don't be too upset by what you see, gentlemen. After all, his actions are those of an immature, unbalanced mind. (laughs) Like, I'm just gonna shit talk you really loud. And Trelane's like, I overheard that. I'm gonna have to fight you. Yay! How shall we, how shall we violence this out? And that's when the captain, like, grabs Yeoman Ross and is like, stay away from her. And I don't want you accepting his gifts either, which was just wild. Yeah, um, it's like, oh, I'm I'm being possessive. I'm showing human jealousy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, my gosh, your captain is jealous of me. This is what we do. How curiously human. How wonderfully barbaric. Just going through all and the deadly like, sins. Mm-hmm. And Kirk's like, sweet, let's duel. And he's like, yes, ooh, I have these big ass pistols. They're the same kind, just like Alexander Hamilton used. <laughs> You're heroic, Alexander Hamilton. And he's like, and Captain, I never miss. 
Captain's log, delayed report. The whole bridge crew are the unwilling guests of the creature who calls himself Trelane. We are weaponless, powerless, and our only hope of escape with the Enterprise lies in playing his games. We've de- I've decided to make my move in the field of honor game, and everything depends on my one chance in the ancient dueling pistol. So, you know, they're lined up. And Trelane is like, ha ha, will I shoot you? And then he throws away his shot. He just shoots into the air. He very Linden's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Kirk is like, ooh, I'm going to take aim at you, Trelane. But the name's at the mirror and shoots it. And a bunch of cartoon springs come out. And it's like, wing, 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 wing. Yeah, it literally looks like, what, like when an old like cuckoo clock gets exploded on uh, an old like looney tunes cartoon it's literally that amount of like springs and boinging literally would not be misplaced on the batman set at all not at all and the sounds are just ridiculous i love it and so like trillane is fucking pissed uh like nothing much has changed but like trillane is pissed and he's like go back to your ship and prepare because i'm gonna fucking kill you you especially captain kirk and he walks to his mirror and disappears and kirk opens up the his communicator he's like beam us up so they beam him up get us the fuck out of here so the enterprise flies as far as it can away from gothos but what appears in in front of them? It's Gothos again. They turn, and it's Gothos again. It's a rogue planet. It's a rogue planet. Straight up, we can save effects budgets just showing the same photo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So Kirk is like, "All right, we are in this cat and mouse game. Fuck this." Kirk is like, just put us into or- orbit. Just put us in orbit of the planet. I need to fucking end this. All right? Like, I'm going back down and I'm talking to Trelane. Like, because he's being an idiot. But before he can, fuck, he's brought back to the planet into a courtroom where Trelane sits in the in the old English barrister wig and robes. He's thrown into he's a like, scene from the wind in the willows straight up and he's just like i am the judge and your crime of opposing me you will hang hang by the neck and then we see like the shadow Shadow of of gallows it was wild i was like oh my god and then yeah "Yeah, westerns they have people hanged all the time whatever kids were were used (laughs) to that um so the first wig that they actually brought him for this scene was a french hairpiece one of those just like big curly hair. Yeah, it's like yeah, a yeah, huge yeah, curly yeah. haired wig, which is not correct. It's not a, a judge wig. It's not the yeah. kind of wig that judges wear, which is important for the fucking scene. And he's like, I can't do it with this wig. And Shatner's like, who the fuck cares? Like, I am tired. <laughs> it's space like, court. You have a bus in Napoleon. It's space court. Um, and the director was also like, I don't want to take sides, so I'm going to call Gene Alcoon. And Gene Alcoon came down and was like, it's the wrong wig. Go get him the right wig and shoot something else. Like, it's not that fucking hard. So, once again, wild, wild. Um, Captain's log. 
First Officer Spock reporting. Still no word from Captain Kirk on the surface below us. Waiting time is almost up. I will soon be forced to de- uh, forced to attempt departure per his instructions. They find one more excuse for Spock to give it so they can record the voice lines in one session. <laughs> Back in the courtroom, Trelane takes off his like robes and wigs and he's like i was so angry just now it was so exciting yeah real just I like, didn't kind think of about I could face do it. he's like i didn't think i could do it but i did i got angry uh and kirk's like i'm glad you were not disappointed and he's like no wow captain you're still angry wow i wish i could sustain that feeling damn you're so cool. In any case, you have like a last res- uh, last request. Um, and he's like, I don't, I, put me back on my ship. Like, let us That'd go. That'd be great like, if you just that. release me. Let me go. I don't have to do this. I, I would love that. That would be a fantastic thing. Are you going to offer that? Yes? No? No? Okay. Well, then yes, I don't care. No? Maybe? Uh, but Trelane is like, oh, and he goes and he grabs an executioner's mask that's just like sitting on like so, a head. So like, macabre. And he's like, oh, everything's too easy. This was all too easy. And Kirk's like, aha. And little Kirk thinks, ooh, I shall outsmart this alien thing. He's like, well, everything's easy for you, Trelane. That's your problem. Yeah, there's uh, no challenge. It's a anymore. bad habit. When, what uh, do you give the man who has everything? Because he still will want. He still will want. And Kirk's like, you have the opportunity to have, like, a really unique experience. And you are wasting it right the fuck now. You want to commit murder? You can. But, like, what is the sport in just hanging me? Yeah. And Trelane's like, sport? Have you ever read the most dangerous game in your studies? I have. (laughs) Kirk says. He's like, the terror of murder, the suspense, the fun. And he's like, all right, we're going to set up a game. And he's like, this is this is the thing. If I, when we're playing our game, you free my ship and let it continue. And in return, I will give you a really awesome contest. What if we do the most dangerous game? I'm going to give you the best dangerous game. Just let my ship go during that time. And no one um, can resist a dangerous game and Trelane's like sure sure so they go on a hunt outside yes it's exactly like the it's not like the Gary Mitchell one but it is like the Finnegan one they are running around there's a dude taking the hits for Shatner there's they have a stunt guy there so he can like fall and roll he's being chased with a sword you have terrible fake plants terrible fake plants so during the shooting William Campbell was like I gotta hit the ground too like, that's going to look great. It's going to look great on camera. They didn't have a stunt guy for him. He went down and popped his shoulder out of its socket. Oh, fuck me. I knew he was going to injure himself somehow at the beginning of that story. But mm-hmm. popping your shoulder. Oh, mm-hmm. God. And so they got to hang out on set and wait for a doctor to come to mm. pop his shoulder back in its Actor- socket. Actors and- get brilliant ideas that they're stunt doubles mm. some days and they're not. Yep. So that was a half day of shooting. <laughs> Um, so, you know, they fight eventually. Kirk gets the upper hand. He, or, well, he's like, ah, oh, Kirk, I found you. I got you. Now, now sit 
quietly while I run you through. And Kirk is like, no. And he fights him. He's like, I'm not defeated. Like, and he grabs his sword and breaks it over his knee. And slaps Trelane across the face. Gives him scolds him. Physical contact. Physical contact. It like, it doesn't do much to him when he slaps him across the face. Like Trillian just kind of like stands there, but it's very like scolding him. Like, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. When all of a sudden two hovering green lights appear over the treetop and Trillian stands in a pool of light like an actor in a spotlight and, and bleeds. And not the green lights we saw above them earlier when they were waxworked. Oh, no. He goes, no, you said I could have this plant. Here, why don't we do this? This is this is absolutely perfect. Okay. All right. All right. I have it. It has been sent to you. Uh, you are Trelane and I will be father and mother. No. No, you said I could have this planet. This has gone far enough. You always stop me when I'm having fun. You were disobedient and cruel. We've told you before. Time to come in now, Trelane. But I won't come in, and I won't. I'm a general. I won't listen to you. Enough, Trelane. Come along. Why? I didn't do anything wrong. I was just playing. We said come along. But I haven't finished studying my predators yet. This is not studying them. If you cannot take proper care of your pets, you cannot have them at all. Oh, but I was winning. I was winning. They're beings, Trelane. They have spirit. They're superior. No, no, you saw. You'll grow up, Trelane. You'll understand. Now come along. Oh, but you said I could. You promised. I never have any fun. Stop that nonsense at once or you'll not be permitted to make any more planets. But you saw it. I was winning. I would have won. Honest. And Trelane is disappeared. The mother and father lights uh, are like, Captain, we are so sorry. If we had realized how vulnerable you were to our son, we would have not allowed this to happen. Uh... And Kirk's like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, what? Exactly. Just being like, you can't show up at the last few minutes of this episode and not <laughs> give us an explanation. Green lights. <laughs> and they're like, forgive us, Captain. Like, we will maintain your life support. We will maintain everything so that your ship can come and pick you up. Please accept our apologies. And the lights disappear. <laughs> And just like that, episodes, uh, things over, stories over, no more conflict. Yeah. We're just done. Which yeah. you double reveal that this is also the ending to the Futurama episode. Yes, it is. Like, it's oh like my god! After all, yeah, they're back on the bridge. Uh, and Spock's like, so we do need to like describe what this being was. Was he? Pure mentality, a force of intellect, embodied energy, super being. He must be classified, sir. And Kirk's just like. He's a very naughty boy. A very naughty boy. A small boy and a very naughty one at that. And Spock's like, well, then I will make a very strange entry in our library. And Kirk's like, 
well, he was probably doing the same things that you did when you were a mischievous little boy playing pranks. You know, like dipping little girls' curls in inkwells and sealing apples from your neighbor's trees. Where the when the fuck is this? What is going on, Kirk? Um, tying cans on. Forgive me, Mr. Spock. I should have known better. And he said, I shall be delighted, Captain. <laughs> it just is. I mean, the reveal that, oh, you can't play with your book. toys. So we're going to take your toys away from you. It, it just having nieces and nephews, that to me felt like a uh, vindication for, for so yeah. much. But, uh, you know, I truly don't know how to rank this episode because it is so... Yeah out of time and space it almost feels like it's its own book on that's not on the shelf it's like somewhere else that has like you know a perfect little friend it's on like do you know what it is it's on the bookshelf in Trelane's office like it just it, it is yeah. its own book that's yeah. on there um yeah. this one was wild i i think i'm just gonna have to put it like in the middle, but not for any other reason than it just doesn't feel that Star Trekky in the end. Like it really mm-hmm. is interesting and an odd, interesting, weird character. But like Mud was an eccentric character, and he fit into the universe, even though he's a bit swarthy and all that kind of stuff. Because what he was mm-hmm. doing was like taking women from planet to planet, and like the the entity part of it comes in. But like this, it's this dude's just also a dude. Like it's it's yeah. one of those things that I, it only builds on rewatching it because you know that reveal at it. But like I was shocked mm-hmm. by the reveal. Um, but yeah, I yeah I I may like this more as we move away from it. But uh, I also just felt like it's because Trum tr- I won't keep wanting to say trolley, tr- uh, um, but Tremaine tr- um, is also a bit one notish. I will say. Like I have, fun. it's the reason I could do that. Per, you know that that personality and fun so well is that it is a bit of a of a one note on there. But that being said, mm-hmm. it's like a voice that I do love doing, and like a character that it's I do great. love doing. So I get that I get what he's yeah. going for. I can't like fault it that much. Great it's note. just more of like maybe maybe the writing or maybe I don't know needed some other stuff in. There. Yeah, it just felt like honestly, it it just needed something. And and mm-hmm. I think the satisfaction of the reveal that it was a kid the whole time. Yeah. doesn't doesn't make up for whatever it was that was lacking yeah i think that that's a really that's a really interesting perspective because i do not remember the first time i saw this episode so i always knew as the episode like oh it's just a kid it's at the, the end, the and the spending end. Yeah, yeah, time. yeah him thinking like oh are there predators on vulcan and then at the end he's like I'm studying predators. And he's like, this isn't studying. So you're like, this was his homework assignment? Yeah, apparently. Like, and he, how he's just acting like a little boy. So that's so interesting because, of course, like watching it, you know, at infinitum, you know, I can just sink into the comedy of it. Well, but you're right. It lacks like a certain. And I think that that's what DC Fontana really got to. She's like, Kirk needs a real way of actually fighting this guy. Yes, that's what it is. It's just mm-hmm. basically this guy pulling a bunch of punches all episode. And then, mm-hmm. you know, except for him putting him briefly on the surface of the planet. And so the, Tremaine has the upper hand. There's no... Mm-hmm. Tr- I keep Tremaine, right? Yeah. No, not... Trelane. Trelane. I keep... Oh, my God. Trelane. 
I think Tremaine is a real name. Johnny though. Tremaine is a book about uh, oh. the silversmith of Paul Revere. <laughs> so I think it's trying. It's stuck in my head. Uh, Trelane, mm. uh, yeah, he basically can do whatever he wants. And so you're right. It's just basically them like kind of getting out of scenario for him just to like get them again real quick. So I never question what the next beat's going to be. The next beat is going to be oh Trelane pulls them back in somehow and blah 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. Um, another fun fact, the two voices at the end, mother and father, they were uncredited, but we know who said them. Oh. Barbara Babcock was the mother, and there is a mystery surrounding who the father is. <gasps> oh, in, Because word. in various sources, it was either Bart LaRue, who did do voices for some Star Treks, and it was like an actor at the time and like was around. Or, as was reported in uh, These Are the Voyages and other places, mm-hmm. it was actually James Doohan, Scotty, oh. doing his best Bart LaRue voice. Because <laughs> they were buddies. And so there are varying things where everyone's like, like on IMDb, it's credited to Bart LaRue. And there they say, oh, well, like he was actually friends with James Doohan. And so that's why it was like sometimes like me they say it's james doing and other places like no it was james doing because they you know didn't want to pay him to be in that episode to only do like oh two days God. of work so. they basically asked him can you do a sound alike yeah and it's so good if it is that i think people it's just james credit. doing oh that's a better because story that's like what the uh justman says so i'm okay, like why he would says, he not know yeah, that that seems like like i don't I don't know what the fuck IMDb is on with that. Um, I'm going to go with what he says. But yeah, so presumably it was James doing. Boy, howdy. You know what? What a, a man of many voices. We didn't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the, my favorite thing about this episode, though, of course, as you mentioned, is that it uh, was played on in the Futurama episode. Yes. Uh, I think it's called Forbidden Planet. That I'm not sure what the name of the episode What is he? Where no fan has gone before. Oh, that's a perfect title episode, of course. Yes, and of course they have the exquisite joke of um, where he's like, "Oh wow, it was just a child all along," and then the mother voice says, "Child, he's 37." Uh- <laughs> yeah, the perfect, perfect uh, end on that um Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's interesting i'm gonna have to when i rewatch this with alex because alex Mm -hmm. wants to watch the original series so i'm going to be watching it again at some point Uh, i'm really curious to see his reaction to this and if he feels like it it clicks or it or not yeah 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 what are we watching next week uh, next week, we have another fucking banger. Oh. Another one that has been remembered through the ages, has been uh, done upon countless times. Uh, it's got a simple one-word title. It's got a simple one-word title. Title. That's right. It's Arena. Okay. What do you think happens in this episode? Well, I'm going to take one wild step in the dark. Do they go to an arena? Are they entered into the arena are we going to a gladiator type planet or is this like an alien thing is this basically like what was it called secret war or something or whatever or there's something where people from the marvel universe get all sucked into one like 
dome and they have to fight oh, or a planet. That with the game master. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Is it a game master situation? Yeah, I'm feeling it. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling that's the case. Mm-hmm. Probably they okay. have to go fight against other types of alien species and they're all put together and it's like a last species surviving wins. And but it's you know, I don't know if it'll be like people have to place their bets and it's like we'll bet for the best fighter and it's like oh the best human fighter is james t kirk because of course it is <laughs> and so kirk's ring around and it's I, I i don't think this is where a gorn comes in but it would be funny if the a gorn pops in at some point uh, uh here so yeah i'm curious i'm curious i'm curious i'm curious you're smiling you gave me too many smiles i think i might have accidentally nailed too many different things in my analysis i'm really happy i don't know i don't know, I don't know. Oh! I don't know. Oh, listen, you're gonna, you're gonna have to wait till next episode, and I'm gonna have to wait till next episode. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not I was fair. winning. I'm not done with the podcast yet. I'm, I'm just As fun. we always I say, live long and prosper. Live long and prosper.